eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Good morning, good morning. I'm Trooper Zagman, National Recruiting Analyst with 24-7 Sports, alongside my colleague, Andrew Ivins, huge fan of the Florida Panthers. Drew, how are we feeling? 4-2 victory over the Washington Capitals. I have a bunch of buddies in D.C. you got to be feeling good the way that series started. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if you felt good, but I feel good with the end result. First series win since 96, and we're moving on. Game one tonight, I'm going. Uh, going to be packing the rink. Um, going to miss game two because I'm out on the road to see some five stars, but it's, uh, it's buzzing down here in South Florida, man. I'll tell you, I'm having the time of my life going to these games. Isn't it weird that two teams in South Florida are, are now on their way to a Stanley Cup. Tampa Bay Lightning, certainly a really good team that is, has played well over the years. And now you got the Florida Panthers, a little bit ironic. But we got the New Orleans Pelicans in, in action tonight. NBA draft lottery as well, no offseason in the NBA. Last time the Pels had a 6% chance, they landed Zion Williamson. So hopefully they'll bounce back tonight. But Drew, we got a lot of football to talk. Pack show, Elite 11 Nashville. I was there this past weekend. Nico Emi Lieva, number three prospect in the country, Tennessee commit. Got to see him live. You've seen him live as well. So we're going to start there. But really on the rest of the docket today, quarterback dominoes. Avery Johnson was another guy that I saw, top 24-7 quarterback, number 12 per the 24-7 rankings. A lot to like there. Johnson, Emi Lieva, and Brock Glenn, Tennessee native, all earn invitations to the Elite 11 finals in Los Angeles late next month so a lot to talk about we'll talk about notre dame we'll talk about clemson how they're adjusting to new age college football and then we're going to hit a little bit on top 24 7 standout hakeem williams talk about nathaniel joseph brandon ennis who andrew has seen live all this past weekend he's been a busy man but i want to go back to nashville drew and i want to start with nico emi lieva those that was my first time seeing him in person it was a little bit of a mixed bag but it was kind of what i expected you talk about a guy that is, is is pretty raw from where he is right now. Has only started 13 games, but has been spectacular in those 13 games. I believe 50 touchdowns, only two INTs. He's a dynamic athlete. I, I'm interested to get your thoughts on what you thought the first time you saw him in person. Well, I mean, when I first saw him, it was at a seven on seven tournament, you know, down here in Miami. Um, you know, I thought it was cold weather, but I'm also, you know, warm blooded. So anything below 60, I'm going to say it's cold. Uh, and Nico is wearing pajama pants. Um, and I was just blown away by his arm. I mean, he can just whip the ball around. He's this tall, lanky individual. And, 
you know, seven on seven, his footwork isn't good. But I mean, in terms of art, arm talent, I don't think I've seen anyone like that in, in a couple of years. And, uh, you know, the guy that's comparable to me would be Quinn Ewers, what he did at the Elite 11 finals uh, kind of last summer. You know, you could just tell that Quinn has a different arm than different individuals than his peers. Uh, and I saw a lot of that in Nico. I mean, we're all, you know, it's kind of a copycat league, I guess, football is these days. And everyone is is enamored with what Patrick Mahomes is able to do and the, the velocity he can kind of create with his arm and, and whether it's off platform or sidearm, whatever he's going to do. Um, that's what people are looking for right now. And I think Nico, I am Ava. Uh, we're all so high on him because he's kind of the same thing. It's Patrick Mahomes light in terms of that arm. So I, I was blown away with it. Now, my question to you, this is your first time seeing him, right? Um, it's a little weird that he's at the, uh, the regional in Nashville, but Hey, he, he's there. I mean, just what did you think? What did you expect? Cause this seems like, this is one of the more loaded regionals we had seen. I know you went to the one in Atlanta. You were at the one in Baton Rouge. But this had a big list of heavy hitters. Um, just your takeaways. I was really fascinated to kind of see him in person from like a physical standpoint for the first time. I think there had been maybe not concerns. That, that That's a little bit too much strong of language. But seeing that frame in person and then adjusting short-term and long-term expectations. I know me and you were going to volley about this uh, a little bit and talk about it today. But, you know, I saw a guy that from like an experience standpoint has a lot has a ways to go. And that's OK. Uh, I think you hit on it right there. I think a lot of the accuracy issues, if you even want to call it that, a lot of that stuff can be coached and developed at the next level with lower body footwork mechanics, all that type of stuff can be cleaned up. He's also going to go into a really quarterback friendly offense that helped Virginia Tech transfer Hendon Hooker become one of the most efficient passers in college football last year. So I think there's a lot to like. And, and you try not to overreact to what you see in person. You go back to the tape, get the baseline. And for me, it's a really good reminder. This guy turned the ball over, I believe, one time last year in terms of an INT, right? So in, in those accuracy issues, all that type of stuff, as long as he takes care of the football, he's going to be okay. I think the biggest question mark and maybe the takeaway is, how soon can this guy get on the field in the SEC? Because now we're talking about a guy that's had a lot of money invested into him by the University of Tennessee or maybe maybe a collective, uh, whatever, which way you want to call it or spin it. There's going to be massive expectations on Nico Imailieva from day one in Knoxville. How do you temper those a little bit from a guy who's still starting to, to figure it out? It's like the NFL draft, right? You take a quarterback early on, and when you, you always hear analysts bringing up the fact, well, he's probably going to need a redshirt year, right? You want him to go in a situation where uh, there's a guy ahead of him, uh, and he can take his time to learn the offense and develop. I just don't know if Tennessee has that guy. I mean, I go back to last cycle, Taven Jackson, a lead 11 finalist. They signed out of Indiana. You know, he's a toolsy quarterback with some traits, also a basketball prospect, but he's pretty, pretty raw. And then the year before that, Caden Salter, you know, he gets in trouble. So, I, you know, I, I think Nico is walking into a situation where he's probably going to have to play day one. Obviously, there's an investment from certain people that, you know, support the Vols and the, and the program. So they're going to want him to play right away. And, you know, should you be concerned? I think absolutely. But go watch that that footage we got on, on 247sports.com from uh, the Elite 11 Regional. And, I mean, where I thought Nico kind of struggled was uh, some stuff that's a little not fair to him. You know, it was when he was 
rolling out and, and asked to make some scrambles. And, you know, a lot of those elite 11 drills you don't really see on, on Saturdays and, and Sundays. And you mentioned Josh Heupel having a very quarterback friendly offense. I mean, it's 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 essentially three steps drops and you fired and read. So I do think the one silver lining is if you're a Tennessee fan, he's not going to some super complex system. I think Tennessee's offense fits his skill set. I think it fits what he does well. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I'm not saying that means he's going to go out there and win 10 games as a freshman, but I don't think it's going to be a complete disaster based on what we've seen so far. I'm just worried about him taking hits as a freshman. You talk about a guy 190 pounds right now. That is a narrow frame if they are going to throw him out there and it is going to be baptism by fire to some extent. He, he's got to be ready to go. They have to find a way to protect him. That would be my biggest concern, especially the longevity and so much of what you have invested in him. But, you know, I know a lot of Tennessee fans were asking this weekend, hey, are we going to drop him in the rankings? Like, listen, no. I think really the the drawback was, hey, what about the short-term projection? How soon is he going to get on the field? I don't think any of this impacts how we see him projecting the Sundays. Well, let me, let me push back on this, Cooper. You know, I mentioned this after the Battle Miami event. Uh, Nico's dad is a huge dude. You know, I, I think there's a chance at some point Nico is going to fill out. Now, will it be in the next, you know, 12 months? I don't know. But I think once you get him in a, a SEC strength program, he's at a training table. More importantly, when he's leaving a workout, people are handing him protein shakes all the time. You know, I think it's going to be easier for him to add some weight. Now, he might still be a hard gainer right now. Uh, but to the idea that he, the possibility that the first snap he takes, he's 200 and 205 pounds. I don't think that's all that far-fetched. You know, that's just my takeaway. You know, we know he's a big volleyball player right now. You eliminate the volleyball stuff. You know, I think that's only going to help him add some strength, add some core strength. Uh, so I'm not as concerned about that as 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 you are in terms of that narrow frame. You know, he's still a big, tall kid. Uh, I think if you got to compare him to someone that we, you know, saw go in the NFL draft, I think there's like some Desmond Ritter. Like that's kind of the same body type. Um, and, 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 you know, that's Desmond Ritter was a guy who ran the ball all the time. So, you know, I'm not as concerned about you are because uh, I was reading your notes uh, about the frame. That's just because I've seen dad, though. I, I, I tell recruits this all the time. You know, if you got a big dad, you want to be standing next to him uh, when you're leaving a camp because that lets us know that you have a chance of getting bigger as well. I just don't know where it's coming from. You know, it's 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 narrow shoulders, narrow hips. He's got no ass. His chest is really flat. You look at his little brother. His little brother, you know, who's a 2025 quarterback, looks a lot like his dad. Listen, I'm not all that concerned. When when you look at Nico, you're like, okay, this kid's got to be 175 pounds. You go back, you check his notes. He's 190 pounds verified, you know, a month or two ago. So He's at 190. He obviously carries that weight a little bit better. Like I said, it's just whether or not they can protect him. He can stand on his feet and he'll be good. And he's going to have a long career at Tennessee. But Drew, I want to move on. A couple other guys that stood out to me. I mentioned Avery Johnson, the quarterback from Kansas, a three-sport athlete. This guy's a double-digit above-the-rim scorer from the state of Kansas. Talked to him after, got the invite to the Elite 11. Great kid, super humble. His recruitment now is starting to pick up, and I want to get into this quarterback dominoes type of situation because now Avery Johnson is, is, is a kid. You hear his name. He's starting to emerge now, and he threw the ball a lot better. And to his credit, listen, I, I came in as a skeptic on Sunday to really kind of assessing his ceiling as a passer at the next level. I he quieted that for me. To me, there's there's a lot there to work with in terms of the clay. I still think he's raw in a lot of areas, but he is a dynamic athlete. Threw for over 
2,000 yards last season, rushed for another 1,000, had 22 touchdowns on the ground as well. So somebody's going to be really happy with him. But Oregon's starting to sniff around. Notre Dame is sniffing around. Both those teams kind of have Jaden Rashada, Dante Moore in common, Eli Holstein, another top 24-7 quarterback who's been hot with Alabama. He's a Louisiana native. He takes a two-day trip to Baton Rouge. Steve Wolfong wrote about that this morning. If you need to read about that, our director of recruiting did a really great job on that. What is your sense on what's going on? This kind of like quarterback madness. I can't even I can't even remember, even when I was on the team side of things, just so much at stake now between Notre Dame, Oregon, LSU, Miami, Florida. One of these guys is going to get left out in the cold. I'm interested to get your take on this. Well, I got a lot of takes. Uh, first off, Avery Johnson, you know, he was a guy that he could have went out there in Tennessee Cooper and, you know, finished last in the accuracy challenge. He was still making my freaks list because he's a really, really good athlete. Like I think if we, you know, we could see him at the NFL scouting combine in, in four or five years and, and there's teams trying to move him to a different position because he's that good of an athlete. We're talking four or five on the lasers, four or two in the short shuttle. You mentioned he's a double-double scorer on the hardwood, but he's also got like a 30-something inch vert. I think it's one of the highest ones in the class. So, uh, you know, it, not to, I, I'm glad and encouraged because I was always wondering, I'm like, where's this kid going to end up? He's going to be on my freaks list. Uh, and then I thought maybe it was going to be Kansas State or something like that. But you, you mentioned him, and the one school you didn't mention with Avery Johnson is Miami. From what I've heard, and Gabby Arudia uh, at Inside the U is reporting, that's a name to know for the Hurricanes. And I find that super interesting because Josh Gaddis, Miami's offensive coordinator, he flew on a private jet Friday night from Coral Gables to up, uh, up into the Panhandle in Pensacola. It's so hard to get to where he was going, and that was to see quarterback Emory Williams throw. Well, he didn't even get to see him throw. Rained out, lightning delayed during that spring evaluation period. So he takes a private jet back all the way out there, can't get it done. Kid ends up visiting this weekend. And, and, and you know, Miami's at a, at a, a crossroads right here. Do they keep pursuing a Jaden Rashada and a Dante Moore, or do they pivot to Emory Williams, who's a three-star guy we have rated right now, or do they make a move at, at Avery Johnson? You know, at some point you have to make a decision because the dominoes are going to fall. You know, eventually you don't want to be the guy musical chairs. You don't want to be without a chair. Um, and, and this all ties into to Oregon. It ties in with Florida. You know, Florida. It's also been reported Jaden uh, Rashada. He's going to take a, a visit to Florida here in, in a little bit. And I, you know, for me, you know, who who do I think's in the most vulnerable right now? I honestly think it's it, it's Florida and Miami. You know, I think those are the two schools where I'd be most concerned about, hey, am I going to get one of these blue chip arms? Am I going to get one of these quarterbacks? And the thing that I, you know, I keep telling myself or keep reminding myself with it is, you know, Mario Cristobal, Billy Napier, you know, they're new hires. This quarterback recruiting, it's so accelerated, you, you know, once you get your 23 in the boat, you're already pivoting to your 24, right? So, you know, Miami, they, they, they had different coaches in different places. Billy Napier, most of his staff was a, at a different level where you aren't recruiting these same type of arms. So I think they're at a little bit of a, of a disadvantage. And I'm really interested to see how what, what happens with those two. It seems like LSU is going to get a quarterback. It seems like Oregon's going to get one of these guys. I don't know how that shakes out. Uh, Notre Dame, I, I think they're going to figure it out as well. But Miami and Florida are the two that I'm concerned with. And I texted you this, Brock Glenn, who you mentioned at the beginning of the show, to me, out of all the quarterbacks and the realistic options out there, I think he might be the best scheme fit for Billy Napier in terms of a pro-style guy, a game manager, a guy that can make some big-time throws. You know, if Florida, from what we've seen, they're recruiting right now, they want to be a smash-mouth power-rushing team. Go get Brock Glenn. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head right there. I, I Listen, 
Brock Glenn is a guy that we didn't talk about. He's the third guy that earns his invite to the Elite 11 Finals in Los Angeles next month. He was super clean. He, he was very sharp. You could tell he was a guy that if Nico Iamalieva was raw, he was the opposite of, of that. This was a guy that was really coached up. He went 23-9 and last year in terms of TD to INT ratio. But you know what you're getting with Brock Glenn. Like you said, game manager, super high floor. He's really a clean prospect. I, I, I like what he's going to give to whatever team at the next level. I think Billy Napier, Florida Gators, make a lot of sense. So we'll see if they pivot there. A couple other guys that stood out, Marcel Reed, uh, a Tennessee native, Chris Parson uh, committed to, to Florida State, and then Kenny Minchie as well committed to Pittsburgh. All three of those guys had solid days on Sunday. Marcel Reed probably has the most developmental upside out of those three. I really like his fit. He's going to have to put some weight on at the next level, but he's going to have some time to sit but behind Jackson Darter, Luke Oltmeyer, whatever one gets the nod there in Oxford with, with Lane Kiffin. But Drew, now – uh, Cooper, let me jump in real quick. Chris Parson, Florida State's quarterback commit. Just your thoughts on him, your takeaways on him, because there's been talk of Florida State potentially taking a number two quarterback, and Brock Glenn's a guy they brought on campus, you know, uh, not too long ago. So I'm just wondering what you thought of him. I have no exposure to him. I've only seen the highlights. You know, just what do you think of him? Do you think he's a guy that can win at Florida State? Yeah, if you look at A.J. Duffy, you look at Chris Parson, I think there's some similarities there. You look at more of an athlete when you look at, at, at Parson as well, uh, but certainly a guy with a live arm. I'd have more questionable or concerns about, hey, can he make every throw on the field, and how does he really unlock your offense at the next level? That would kind of be the question. I think really what Florida State's doing is they're bringing in guys that fit their scheme. They're banking on that uh, right now at the next level. So them entertaining a second option after what I saw this weekend is not surprising to me at all. Yeah, I, I just wonder, you know, Brock Glenn, I, you know, Auburn seems to have pivoted their quarterback search to him from what I heard over the weekend, just talking with some college coaches at, at very, a variety of different places. You know, uh, Auburn has moved towards Brock Glenn. Brock's first name is actually Auburn. He's named his, his grandfather went to Auburn. It's, his name's actually Auburn Brock Glenn. So, you know, you would think, hey, it makes a lot of sense for Auburn. But at the same time, if you're Brock Glenn, how do you know if Brian Harson's going to be there? So there's a lot of kind of moving and changing different pieces. You know, Jaden Rashada, you know, before he pivoted away from this quarterback, thing he's been one of the most fascinating things i mean how many different schools has Jaden rosada visited you know he's gotten to byu he's gone to oregon he's gone to ole miss he's gone to lsu now he's going to florida you know he seems to be searching for something and i'm wondering who's going to give it to him because it seems like you know he goes one place seems like it, it might be this school and then all of a sudden they're taking another quarterback i mean the same weekend that uh Jaden visited ole miss uh, that monday the, the rebels take mark marcel reed so everyone's trying to figure it out um, you know, I'm just just interested because you know, just interested in how it shakes out because I'm really not honestly sure he's a fit for what Billy Napier is trying to do. So I found that interesting the fact that he's actually going to visit the Gators. You mentioned Florida as a potential fit for Brock Glenn. I'm going to throw out another program in the state of Florida as well, Miami. Listen, Mario Cristobal, I've been around him, worked with him for the year that I was at Oregon with him. This is year number one. This is an important year for him. It's going to be important that he goes out and gets somebody that can not only play and fit in his system, but can win some headlines as well. I think Brock Glenn's going to get a lot more attention now with the Elite 11 uh, Finals invitation. I think that name's going to continue to heat up as we go. But last thing on the quarterback dominoes, Drew, if you were picking today, where is Dante Moore going? Where is Jaden Rashada going? Where is Eli Holstein going? <laughs> I think Holstein, Alabama, you know, I, I, I think that's kind of the, where, where that's trending. So I'll, I would go him there. 
uh, is this like a parlay? Am I, am I parlaying the odds? Or am I, just, I think like it's a, a great. I think it's a great conversation because nobody I, seems I, to know. So I'm just saying, I, you know, Dante today, Moore, as of today, Dante Moore, LSU or, or or Notre Dame, right? And who was the third one you asked me? Rashada, Jane Rashada, Oregon. You know, there you I go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Rashada to Oregon, Dante Moore to Notre Dame. I'm gonna go Eli Holstein to LSU. It makes you think. Okay, what is Alabama going to do uh, if they get in that situation? If if Holstein does end up going somewhere else, but certainly we'll be tracking that. That's going to be a roller coaster all the way through. Uh, but Drew, now I want to transition to Notre Dame, the number one ranked recruiting class in the country. Me and you have talked a little bit about them, but we haven't really gone in depth. I was doing a little bit of research. Shout out Coop's Corner, mentioned them and talked about Marcus Freeman, the job that he's done. But 10 out of the 13 commitments in the 2023 class are in the top 24-7. They also rank top five in average ranking or excuse me, average rating per commit only behind Georgia, USC and LSU. None of those three teams have double digit commit lists. So that's saying a lot about the quality of player that Notre Dame is bringing in. I know you mentioned that you're going to see Keon Keeley very soon. That's a guy that we're super high on. He's a top 10 player in the top 24-7. What are your thoughts on, on what Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame have been able to accomplish, and can they sustain it come February? Well, I think this is why Notre Dame kept Marcus Freeman there. I mean, just by all accounts, Tom Loy, who, who covers the, the Irish for for the network, you know, I, I'm close friends with him. We we talk all the time, and, and he has described to me as, as Marcus Freeman as a, a, a grinder on the recruiting trip. He's a dog. He that he eats, bleep, eats, breathes, and sleeps recruiting. So I think they wanted to make it an easy transition, a guy that was ready to hit the ground running. And I think Marcus has done just that. I think what's impressive about Notre Dame is this: this the group they've assembled that's from all different corners of the country. Um, you know, Brian Kelly, I think he really tried to do that at Notre Dame when he arrived there from Cincinnati. And then I always go back to, to Brian Kelly saying a few years ago that he felt like he needed to get a little bit more uh, when it came to recruiting. Uh, you know, they were finishing in the top 10, but he wanted to get into the top five. And I think Marcus Freeman has, you know, kind of carried along that torch right now and we're seeing it now can they hold on to these guys i think that's the big question keon keely right he's been to alabama he's been to florida you know i always say alabama kind of gets what alabama wants from the state of florida and alabama always kind of really just always has a few not head scratchers but the, they flex their muscle when it comes to, to signing day and, and decision day so i'm interested to see what happens with Keon Keeley, and I'm interested to see how they they close out at, at some of these other positions and, and round things out because you know it's an impressive group um, for Marcus Freeman. We talk about Dante Moore every week, and you know it's kind of like the Dante Moore fan club over here. But I think this class, really, at the end of the day, it's going to be judged by who they take at quarterback. I think quarterbacks kind of been a little bit of the issue there at Notre Dame in terms of getting the guy that can elevate that program when it comes to January uh, and trying to compete in a college football playoff against the likes of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, so on and so forth. So I think Dante Moore would be the cherry on top, uh, adding a different dynamic and dimension to Notre Dame that they just haven't had in the past. But you talk about some of these guys they have left on the board, Charles Jagasaw, who we like a lot, Monroe Freeling, two offensive linemen, uh, some of the Jaden Greathouse, another top 24-7 receiver as well. Rico Flores, Notre Dame's in the mix. 
the guys that they have on the board, all these guys seem like they're top 250 players. Uh, so in terms of their staying power within the top five, I think Notre Dame is going to end up in the top five or six at the end of the day. I don't think that's really that bold of a claim, but I love what Marcus Freeman's doing. To me, it's never been about what Marcus Freeman can do on the recruiting trail. I want to see what they can do on Saturdays. That is my biggest question mark when it comes to Marcus Freeman. I like the staff that they got there. I like what he's put together. Al Golden coming back from out of nowhere from the NFL ranks, going to be the defensive coordinator. Jared Parker on offense. Brian Mason, who I worked with at Cincinnati, working the special teams. They got some really good coaches. I'm interested to see what Notre Dame's going to look like this year. And I've mentioned, I think they got some question marks at the quarterback position. So what is that going to be like? Can they hold it together? Like right now is the honeymoon period, but if they start to struggle during the season, it's going to be interesting to see if this is the same type of conversation that we're, we're having now, a handful of months from now. So Notre Dame, a lot to talk about there, but Drew, let's move on. LSU over the weekend, they get a commitment from cornerback top 24-7 standout, Dalen Austin from Long Beach Poly. Kind of a, a, a two-sided conversation here, but let's talk a little bit about the player. Let's talk about LSU going out to California to go get a defensive back. You're down in South Florida. What is your feel on what LSU is doing in that area as well? Well, they're active down here in, in, in South Florida. You know, Jalen Brown's a kid that mentioned them. Uh, a couple of the defensive backs at American Heritage. And LSU's always been active. They've always recruited the state of Florida. I just, I guess my big takeaway with, 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 with since Brian Kelly has arrived there, it just seems like LSU is trying to go so national like have a national footprint which to me i'm not saying it's, it's puzzling i mean look this team this is a program that just had a magical season with joe burrow not too long ago i mean you're you're able to do that there's kids everywhere that know who you are uh but uh, you know someone pointed out to me a, a long time ago that this and this person worked at lsu like lsu gets what lsu wants in louisiana uh you know maybe alabama's the one school that can go head to head and, and pull a guy away from them but you know, it's like LSU, the state of Louisiana provides for LSU. So I think at the end of the day, you you got to, you know, take those kids. So I'm just, you know, I want to know how how many Louisiana kids that have here end up at LSU. How, how national is it, does this thing get? Because it seems like Brian Kelly, in a way, almost is recruiting like he's at Notre Dame, right? You know, going into California for a defensive back. It just feels different for LSU. And I know they got Elias Ricks a few years ago and stuff like that. But it seems like LSU in my eyes right now is all about recruiting outside the state borders. It does feel like that. And you felt like that with Mario Cristobal as well, right? They, they went hard after Josh Connerly and they'd be silly not to uh, just with the relationship that they had with that type of prospect out West when him and Alex Mirabal were at Oregon, you wonder like, okay, is this because of pre-existing relationships that they had? And I don't know if Dalen Austin was one, you know, they had the, the new defensive back coach there with Robert Steeples. So I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know how long this is going to exist. Maybe they're quick to pivot once they realize, Hey, everything we need is right here in a six hour, 300 mile radius. Uh, but that is interesting. You know, in terms of the commits that they have, Dalen Austin is really the only one outside of that footprint um, but in terms of the targets, Shay Dixon, who runs our Go 24 7 uh, site, had a really good article this morning kind of highlighting some of the top defensive linemen on LSU's board. And that's a, a national search as well. Deshaun Womack, a, a player from Baltimore, St. Francis High School, who's certainly uh, a type of guy that you would want to target outside of maybe your, your uh, normal recruiting radius. So 
it's going to be interesting to see what, what Brian Kelly uh, and company do there in terms of their recruiting footprint. But Dalen Austin, Drew, and, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts here on a quick pivot. Had a, had a top 15 max speed time within the top 24-7. And for those who don't know what that means, we use a third-party service, UC Report. They do a great job, but now they're keeping track of max speed on the field. So now we have quantifiable play speed, not just verified speed and track and field data, not just verified speed and what we see in these combines, but now we have play speed verified. The guy that had the highest play speed in the class of 2023, Hakeem Williams, was the only player to touch 22 plus, which is just absolutely absurd. We didn't have any verified times on him. So I'm going to pivot. want to get your thoughts on, on that new data. How do you incorporate that into the evaluation process? But Hakeem Williams, you put in a crystal ball to Texas A&M. Maybe talk a little bit about those two things and what you like about them. Well, let's start with Hakeem. I mean, this is a kid that was first introduced to me a couple of years ago. I was always skeptical because there was never any testing numbers, right? I was like, I, I don't know. I mean, he's this big guy. He's just bigger than everyone else right now. It's really easy for him to body up people and, and, and get deep. I think he was just kind of a product of, of being bigger than his peers at his age. And then the, the more you learn about him, I started kind of reversing course. You know, that you mentioned the max speed. Uh, him having the highest in the class of, of 2023. Yes, that's impressive. What's even more impressive to me, though, is this kid is a basketball player, um, you know, you know, football player first, basketball player second. He actually swam as a freshman at Stranahan High School, which is right down the, the road from where I'm, I'm sitting right now, which is just mind-blowing to me. He swam on JV before he found uh, football and basketball. So he's a really, really well-rounded athlete. But on the hardwood, in the state Final Four, he posts back-to-back double-doubles. And to me – you know, a, a double double at the high school level just shows you're a really, 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 really good athlete, right? You're not six five, six six, or anything like that. He's probably six three, um, and he, he just gets the job done. So I, I was already stock up on him, pushing him up my list. You know, after I saw that that, that performance, we always talk about multi sport data points, uh, and then we see this max speed thing, and he's the fastest kid uh, essentially in the class of 2023 on Friday nights in pads, and it's just kind of mind blowing. I mean, he's He's pound for pound, might be the best athlete. I saw him in a jamboree on uh, Saturday. You know, his quarterback gets hurt, so there's not a ton of targets coming his way, but his team decides to use him as a defensive end. He only plays, I don't know, three, four, five snaps as a pass rusher, has a sack and a quarterback hurry. So he's just really good at everything he does. And, you know, this recruitment, there's tons of schools out there watching him. FSU, Miami, Clemson was out there. Uh, but I think Texas A&M is kind of the team to beat. They're in the pole position. You know, the Aggies have started making some some headway down here in in, in Miami-Dade and in Broward counties. You know, you, this isn't an area you're going to see a lot of Texas A&M gear, um, but you're starting to see a little bit more and more of it. Last cycle, they go and get Shamar Stewart. I think that opened some eyes. And, and now they're you know, making a move for Hakeem Williams. He was out there for the Aggies spring game. He's going to return. Uh, at some point for an official visit. He told me that official visit will probably be during the season, but I, I just think the Aggies kind of have the, the 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 most momentum in that recruitment. I think he likes the idea of playing for Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher, uh, James Coley, a Miami native who, who used to work at UM and in the high school ranks down here. He does an excellent job. Bryant Gross Ar Armiento, uh, he's an off-field staffer that is, is, is from this area. Kids really like him. So I think Texas A&M, it's, it's turning in the right direction. That's why I put in that that crystal ball. I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, Pittsburgh's in there. Georgia's in there. 
Um, but I, I think, you know, we could be on national signing day doing another uh, CBS announcement uh, for a South Florida star picking the Aggies. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I was about to say, this reads totally like, you know, it, this isn't, uh, Hakeem Williams is not coming off the board anytime soon. You mentioned Texas A&M, you mentioned Georgia. I'm sure Miami is going to get in there. You know what that means. This one's going to drag out a little bit. But Hakeem Williams also, can you imagine him in College Station with Evan Stewart, with Chris Marshall, those guys, Connor Wigman throwing him the ball? I mean, I can't imagine a trio of three receivers. Now you look at what Texas is doing and potentially adding Jordan Addison they're dynamic as well, but Texas A&M, Texas, USC, I mean, shoot, man, these are some very talented receiving rooms. Jimbo Fisher, uh, I, I tell you what, there's going to be no shortage of talent in College Station. they got to get that quarterback position right. But, Drew, moving on, Bryce Lovett, offensive tackle from the state of Florida, committing to Florida, and Billy Napier, this is a guy we have ranked as a three-star. He's in your backyard. Tell us what you think about him, and are you do you like this take for Florida? Well, I love this take. You know, I was listening to some some podcasts, some, some radio show this morning. They were talking about Bryce Lovett, and they're saying, oh, he's a three-star. And I, I guess three-stars can't be good. But, I mean, that's just the perception. you got to be a four-star to be good. But, no, I, I'm a big fan of Bryce Lovett. You know, I've probably seen him play more than anyone else in the state. I've attended a few of his games, seen him twice at camps. So there's some narrative out there that he doesn't go to camps, which isn't why he's – you know, ranked that high, which is false. We saw him at Under Armour Miami. Uh, this is, you know, he's six foot six. He's, he's six five, pushing six foot six, over 300 pounds, has played mostly right tackle. Um, but to, to me, he's one of my favorite offensive linemen in the state. You know, the state of Florida doesn't really churn out a bunch of big bodies with some functional athleticism. And I, I think Bryce Lovett's got a chance. Now, he's still got a ways to go, but I think. You know, when we were talking about quarterbacks, I mentioned Florida's scheme. If they want a big power rushing attack, I think Bryce Lovett's the perfect guy. You take, coach him up for two to three years, and then he could be a starter for you either at right tackle or you put him at one of the guard spots. But he's got the length that's there. Uh, he's got a little bit of nastiness to us. I think what's also encouraging is he's still 16 years old. So he's young for his grade. I'm always that's always going to be a plus in my book. And, you know, his brother plays linebacker at Missouri. Uh, Rockledge is a really, really good program right there in, uh, on the state space coast. So I think this is a good take for Florida. We keep hinting at it. The Gators are going to get hot and they are right now. You go Creed Whitmore, Najee Harris, now Bryce Lovett. You know, I'd argue this, man. I think Bryce Lovett and, and Najee Harris, like those would be, have been two of the better offensive line takes and the Steve Adazio, Dan Mullen era at Florida. I mean, those those are those are guys that can that that can play. 
you know, at the SEC. And I'm not going to knock what Billy Napier's staff wants to do in terms of what they're looking for on the offensive line. So I, I love the take. I'm, I'm surprised Florida State and Miami weren't more involved given the, the struggles up front for both those programs. So kudos to Florida. I wouldn't be surprised if Bryce Lovett, you turn on the TV uh, at some point down the line, 330 CBS, the mothership, uh, you know, it's Tennessee, Florida, and Bryce Lovett is your starting right tackle because I think he's got that type of upside. I like him as well. Revisit it this morning. We saw him in Miami, like you mentioned earlier in the year, I believe in February. And the more I watch his tape, I like him. I think he's going to move inside. I think it will eventually end up being a guard. But you talk about him being 16 years old. He's already 6'5 plus. You mentioned that. He's 330 pounds plus. He's got some good weight, but a little bit of baby fat on there. That's going to trim yeah. down once he gets to Florida. I like this kid a lot. And you talk about it. It's just about following your board. And, and we always talk about Billy Napier and all this money invested in these resources. They follow their board, regardless of where these guys are ranked in the process. You mentioned it. Three stars can be good players, too. How about that? You know, so um, I like Bryce Lovett a lot. I like what Florida's doing. You mentioned uh, Najee Harris as well from IMG Academy. Those are two really good football players with extremely high floors that Florida knows what they're getting. And in terms of building a roster foundation, it's all going to be built in the trenches in the SEC. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I love what Billy Napier and Florida are doing. Get me wrong. Last three takes for Florida. You know, I think that's three two deep guys for you. Multi-year two deep guys. Isn't that what you want to do if you're coming in and building up a program? You know, you, you want to hit on some of those guys. I, I think absolutely. Najee Harris, Bryce Lovett, two deep guys. I think Creed Whitmore is a little bit of a wild card, but you bet on the traits with him. You bet on what we know about him. So I, I think it's impressive what Billy Napier and them are doing. And, and they have a chance to keep adding on that offensive line. They're in it for Peyton Kirkland, the big offensive tackle out of Orlando. You know, we'll see how that shakes out. Roderick Kearney, I know me and you were texting about him yesterday, top 247 offensive lineman uh, from the Jacksonville area, probably more of an interior guy. But I think Roderick Kearney is, is you know, um, not a Walmart version of, of of Najee Harris, but a better version. Like he, he he's more athletic, you know, he, he, he's the, the super size me combo option, I guess you, you would say. So uh, I like what they're doing up front. And that's why you have two offensive line coaches. So you can, you can go and you can get these guys. So really impressive. I think what they're, what they're trying to do. And I think Florida's going to finally have some offensive linemen drafted at some point down the line. I mean, if Billy Napier is running the show. A lot of versatility there. You talked about Lovett being able to play right tackle, maybe move inside to guard. I think you see that with Najee Harris. He might he might move inside as well. But Roderick Kearney, to me, says center all the way, but also a guy that can play guard if needed as well. Kind of reminds me of Sadiq Charles uh, used to play his football at, at LSU. But, you know, going back to Florida, we got killed in my one year at Michigan uh, that 2018 class because it was one of the lowest ranked classes that we ever had. And I understand the expectations that come at a place at Michigan. And we, we left a lot on the board. Uh, Chris Olave, Kyle Phillips, Joshua Job, uh, the list goes on and on. These were a lot of guys that we were in it with that we probably should have gotten and we didn't. Ayabe Enoma, uh, who obviously was not a guy that turned out to be what we thought he was going to be. But my point being was we did a lot of homework on the guys that not a lot of people were talking about, Hassan Haskins being one of those guys who's a great program player, really kind of fits the bill of what a program player was, gets drafted in the fourth round by the Tennessee Titans. Michael Barrett, another guy, Luke Schoonmaker, who, who started for Michigan as well, uh, Vincent Gray, uh, who came out this past year. 
Those are the guys you need. That's how you build the floor of your roster from the ground up. I love, like, like I said, I love what Florida's doing. They're not going to dominate headlines right now, but in terms of building a solid and firm foundation, that's what Billy Napier is doing. Now they got to supplement that with the type of guys that are going to elevate them come January and deep in SEC play. But as of right now, this has the makings of a very good roster. Yeah, I mean, I think they're they're taking their 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 program. In my eyes, what they're doing right now is they're building out that ten to twenty in your in your class. You guys, you would rank ten to twenty, right? And then they're going to go big game hunting uh, for your Cormani McLeans, for your Keon Keelys, for guys like that. Your difference makers, and, and they'll probably a lot of that's going to hinge on how year one goes for Florida. Um, but you know, this is this is the right I think recipe and the right formula. I mean, we'll see, but I'm not. I'm not knocking it. I, I I think it's smart. I'll toss out one other guy I think would be a really, really, really good fit for Florida. That's probably not getting talked about enough. Jordan Hall, the linebacker at IMG Academy. I think he's going to take an official visit to Florida uh, in, in June. Michigan State's also in there, uh, South Carolina. But to me, he's like the, 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 the quarterback of IMG Academy's defense, and he was as a junior. I think he's a locker room guy, and I think Florida needs some of those individuals, some guys that – you know, aren't going to take, they're going to take an L personally. And I think Jordan Hall's just that. So I'm interested to see if they can get him in the boat as well. Good point there. So let's stick in the state of Florida. Drew, you spent a lot of time over the weekend seeing some of Florida's best talent, top 24 standouts, starting with Nathaniel Joseph, Brandon Ennis, and Hakeem Williams, who we just talked about. What are your takeaways on those other two guys? What you saw out of Brandon Ennis and Nathaniel Joseph? You know, Brandon Ennis, inter-squad scrimmage for American Heritage um, and, and you know, limited snap count and all that stuff. But I, I thought the most impressive thing about Brandon Ennis, who I think we have is, what, the number four receiver in the country right now. We've been comping him a lot to Amon Ross St. Brown. He's just so polished. He knows what he's doing. He knows how, how, how he gets open. But, you know, kind of one of my takeaways is, you know, Brandon, I think at this stage is is started to fill out a little bit more than Amon Ross St. Brown. And I know Steve Wiltfong, our colleague, has tossed out this comparison recently to Jarvis Landry. Um, and, you know, I'm starting to buy into it. I can see that a little bit more. I think you see Brandon Ennis and how he has built. And I'm not saying he's carrying bad weight or everything, but he's very top heavy in a good way. He's very thick. And I think that's conducive. Uh, to an offensive system where you're going to run some jailbreak screens or you're going to try to get him the ball in the drag route because he's really, really good after the catch. We saw some of that, or I guess you should say I saw some of that in the scrimmage. So, you know, I, I'm a big fan of him. You know, I don't know if he's going to go higher in our rankings. I don't think he's going to go much lower, uh, but someone's going to be getting a very, very good player. And I think, you know, USC is the team that a lot of people think, he was trending towards, you know, that's where my crystal ball is. I've kept that on a low confidence score. I think Ohio State, and I've said this in the past, I think they've kind of closed the gap and, and really have turned this into a two-team battle. But I will say a third school, I think, has entered the race. Uh, and, you know, it's not surprising, Texas A&M. Um, they've made some contact here. You know, last year, Texas A&M went so heavy on the defensive side of the ball, assembling one of the greatest defensive line classes ever. Um, so it's not, maybe, maybe we should have, forecasted this that they're going to go a little offensive heavy here in the 2023 cycle so we'll see if Brandon Ennis visits but he was super impressive uh and, it, and just the big takeaway I think if you saw him now Cooper you'd be like this is a, a d1 body just in terms of how big he is in the upper half and you know what's really scary is he, he's not even that cut up you know so once you get him into a weight room and a strength program a developmental 515 lifting group I mean he's probably gonna you know become a completely different type of player uh, and a completely different type of individual. 
He's a mean dude on the field. I mean, we saw him play South Florida Express at Orlando Pylon. He's got some stuff in his neck. I mean, that that is not the guy that you want to line up across from. And he's day one ready in, term, in terms of the body type. Physically, he's going to be ready to play, I think, from a, a temperament standpoint, from him just being advanced. Uh, I think that's a guy that you can slot in there day one, probably play inside receiver and can give you something at the next level. I think he's a kid like who probably doesn't need to play special teams, just kind of how he's built. But like he will be on every special teams unit. You know, I've been at games even when he was a ninth grader. Uh, he was playing at True Prep Academy at St. Thomas Aquinas. He's running around the sidelines, smacking his helmet around and, you know, picking off passes on defense. Like he is an absolute dog and an absolute alpha. And I think, you know, he's going to have the special teams coordinator fighting. Uh, the wide receivers coach just to get him some snaps, but he will be an alpha in whatever locker room uh, he decides he wants to be a part of. Can't have enough of those dudes. So let's move on. Nathaniel Joseph, Clemson commit, and then we're going to move on to Clemson, talk about them a little bit more. But what do you like about him? You know, he's a chunk play machine, lightning in a bottle. What are we seeing going on in, in, in the NFL draft? These guys, it's these short little speedy guys that – can open up the the field for you, unlock some stuff. And, you know, I, my, my big saying is he can turn a five-yard play into a chunk play. And I saw Nathaniel Joseph do just that on uh, on Saturday night for Miami Edison, which is coached by Luther Campbell, Uncle Luke, who I think got a penalty five minutes into the game. He was <laughs> referees, and uh, they had to turn up the music so everyone couldn't hear him. It was just crazy. But uh, Nathaniel takes a little quick uh, little stop route, spins out of a few tackles, and ends up scoring a touchdown. I think it was called back for some type of holding. But he's just an electric playmaker. Um, it, it, what was really encouraging about his performance on Saturday night is we talked so much about the chunk play, the, the, the moving stuff. He went up and won a contested ball on the sidelines. And if you're a guy who's 5'8", 165 pounds or whatever you are, I mean, that's always going to be encouraging. I don't know how many of those shots you're going to get on, on Saturdays and Sundays, but just to see him do that, I think speaks about his competitive nature. Uh, we keep saying that over and over again. And, you know, the big takeaway from that is Clemson had coaches there. And then Miami's offensive coordinator was there. Miami's defensive coordinator was there. Um, and, 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 you know, I think this is going to kind of segue into what we're talking about next. But you know, Clemson, they're, they're trying to hold on to Nathaniel Joseph. You know, Clemson doesn't often go down into Miami-Dade County to get a kid. Uh, and, and Ray Ray Joseph, is, as they call him, you know, he's been up to Clemson multiple times. He's checked all their boxes off. But uh, Clemson's in a situation where they're have to play, having to play a little defense because Miami wants Nathaniel Joseph bad. Um, you know, I think there's been some maybe some secret visits that have taken place recently. I think Clemson knows that there's been some secret visits that have taken place because Clemson has a policy, man. I mean, you're you're either in or you're not. You're not kind of fishy, wishy washy. So Clemson, they, they were there, and um, you know this this one will be one to monitor. I don't know if it's until signing day, but I think, you know, something could happen sooner rather than later. Because from what I've heard, uh, Nathaniel's Joseph is all his family's all about Miami uh, and the Hurricanes. Secret visits. You got to love college football recruiting. But let's 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 talk about that a little bit more, because if, if Dabo Sweeney is hearing about these secret visits, I'm sure he's not going to be happy. We know about his policy. Corey Foreman decommits last year. He ends up going to to USC or a couple years ago. Clemson just lost their sixth commitment over the last two years. And listen, if this was anybody else, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Well, I, I want to start. This wouldn't be on our radar, but it is Clemson. And, and listen, me and you, I'm going to leave you out of this. Me specifically over the last couple of weeks has been really tough on Clemson. And I will say this and preface it this way. I love Clemson. I love Dabo Sweeney. I believe 
and Clemson. Uh, more of my frustration has been on their reluctancy to really kind of adopt the transfer portal process as another way to acquire talent for their team. Because not only do I believe they would be a factor, I think they would be one or two of the biggest beneficiaries when it comes to the transfer portal. And I and I can say this now on camera because I, I struggled to write it yesterday. I just I couldn't I couldn't find the words uh, on Coop's corner. But you know, Dabo Sweeney has worked so hard to protect this culture. And I get it because it's yielded Clemson historic results. But the same thing that he's protecting might be the key to unlocking success over the next decade. I, I mean, not many people can say, look at the quarterback development that they've had between Deshaun Watson, between Trevor Lawrence, now bringing in a guy like Kate Klubnick, right? So uh, between the receiver development as well on the offensive side of the ball, uh, the coaching and, and development, the NFL track record that they have. And then on top of that, you have this pristine culture. This is a player's dream, a place where people really want to play. It's an incredible atmosphere. It's an awesome fan base. You have a great coaching staff, and yet you have shielded yourself to be able to go out there and acquire talent like teams like the University of Alabama, where every microscopic advantage is so important today. Alabama goes out there, and do I need to say it? They, they go get RB1, Jameer Gibbs from, from Georgia Tech. Clemson saw him up close and personal last year. Uh, Eli Ricks, another guy that, that's going to be a plug-and-play guy, right? Um, so on and so forth. Jermaine Burton from, from University of Georgia. Tyler Harrell from, from Louisville. Uh, they're in the mix for Jordan Addison. That's the team you got to beat. That's the hump you got to get over. And it, it's been relatively easy up until last season, and I get it. They won 10 games. And if you're a Clemson fan, you're probably saying – Listen, if this is adversity, we just won 10 games. I don't know what you guys are talking about. And you're right. But in terms of the rarefied air you've been breathing for the last couple years since Dabo Sweeney's been there, you're kind of running out of oxygen a little bit. That's kind of my feel on them. I Listen, I don't think Clemson is in for this big slide. But going from ACC championship contender to maybe not being in the ACC championship, now to competing in the college football playoff, I mean, that's a fine line right there, and I think they're dancing with it. Well, I think this. I, I, I think there's going to be some roster issues kind of moving forward over the next few years, right? They've lost some guys. Uh, we go back to right before the early signing period, losing three really big commitments, three game changers, Dalen Everett, a five-star corner for us, John Campbell. You know, those guys back off. So I do think there, there's going to be some speed bumps. And where I want to come back at you, though, is I think Clemson is adapting a little bit, right? You know, maybe they're not as progressive as an Alabama who seems to have understood that we got free agency right now. You can go get the best free agents. But, you know, this summer, Clemson is going to have their first official visit recruiting weekend, June 3rd. They're going to bring a bunch of kids up there. I was talking with someone inside the program. I'm, you know, hey, what changed, right? Well, why are you guys doing this? And so, you know, we finally have realized we got to do this. Everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is doing summer visits. We can't get some of these kids up here on their own dimes. We can't wait anymore. We're going to do our, our, our own a visit right then. So I think that's a sign, a, a changing of the times. I've also heard Clemson, you mentioned that the smallest competitive advantages possible out there. You know, right now the, the university, I believe they have one private jet. I've heard that they're going to get a second. That, that's in the works. They want to get a second private jet to make it easier to go and recruit nationally. Instead of your coaches flying, you know, uh, Delta or, or a commercial airline and maybe wheels up, now you got two private planes, right? So now I can go and see one of these select guys that I offer and make it easier for everyone for everyone else. So I do think they're adapting a little bit. You know, I, I, I think 
Venables leaving. I think there's some certain pieces that have left. I, I'm interested to see how this season goes. I do think there's going to be some growing pains in terms of the roster, but I'm not ready to, to wave the, the white flag right now. I think Cade Klubnick, the quarterback they got last year, early returns coming out of spring camp. He was on campus as he was awesome. You know, Adam Randall, I think they really liked him. That's a setback with him getting injured, uh, but I still think they're getting some dudes. I'm just worried about the, the, the total outlook of the roster because I think they're they're, they're, they're going to be missing some guys you know normally you know if you want to be in the college football playoff you need four and five stars at every position across the two deep right because that four star comes it goes down with an injury you want another four star coming in or a four star caliber prospect and I don't think Clemson's going to have that for a little bit uh, but interested to see you know how the class shakes out but I do think they are getting progressive have realized hey what we're doing right now is not working and they're making some changes and maybe that eventually happens with the transfer portal they're going to be fine. You know, like at the end of the day, they're going to be fine. And, and I want to say that, but it just depends what your expectations are. If you're expecting Clemson of the past here, that to me is kind of what's in question. These guys winning 10 games a year in the ACC. I'm not really worried about that, but them going to compete for national championships is a different conversation. So um, Drew, before we leave, What's your prediction for tonight? We got we got the Florida Panthers, Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm sure that play. What do y'all What do y'all call the uh, the the hometown arena down there? <sighs> well, first off, it's out in the swamp, bro. It's in. It's not even really in Fort Lauderdale. Oh my goodness. Uh, FLA Live is, I guess, what we call it. I mean, I, there's not a cool nickname. There, there's not. Not there's no blender. Okay, like that is the greatest nickname possible. Will never for be a school. blender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, the, All right. The, the, Go, no, go. Who do we like tonight? What's the score? Why? Uh, Panthers 5-2. Oh, my gosh. It's the battle of Florida. 5-2, you know, these two teams hate each other. But Florida's got uh, Tampa's number. You know, both teams are a little beat up. But I'm confident, you know, it's going to be a sold-out rank for the fourth fourth straight time. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I, I like playoff hockey because it's just wild, but that, that's my prediction. What about you? Where, where are the Pelicans going to land in this lottery? I'm going to say the Pelicans are going to end up with the number four pick tonight. It's top four. Love that. Just build around the core of Jose Alvarado. That's obviously the, the world we're living in right now. But Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, I could go on all day. But if they land in the top four, great. If they don't land in the top four, they'll probably have a top eight pick. I feel really good about that. They're getting better. They got that pick in the Anthony Davis trade, by the way, uh, that comes back. And, you know, that's just sweet music to my ears. But, Drew, I I, I forgot. We do have a uh, fan question today. Steve at srob1030, big fan of the show, big fan of the Oyster Boys. Are recruits seeing schools that have taken in a lot of transfers and being turned off by the fact that a player could spend three to four years in a program and lose his spot to a transfer? Or is this something that doesn't even cross their mind because of confidence? It's a good question. You know, I haven't heard. Any, it? Yeah, I, I haven't heard anything along those lines yet. Um, I was talking with a college coach over the weekend, and I, I thought he brought up a really good point. You know, he's out at this at this jamboree, and he's like, "What are we doing out here? Like, I'm just essentially showing a polo." Um, because right now, everything you know, from what I've heard, and I, I'm Cooper. I'm sure you've heard the same. Is anytime these big time kids get on campus, it's not about hey, what's what's the depth chart look like? Hey, you know, uh, where what dorm am I in? It's hey, where's my NIL money? Where's what's my NIL package? And that may not be everywhere, but I think that's at a lot of places right now. I think that applies to a lot of the kids that we probably have in our top two, four, seven. 
Um, so I don't think anyone's like, uh, you know, what's going on with the train? I haven't heard it. I haven't heard. I mean, I, you know, and I talked to a lot of different kids. You know, my, there might be some out there. I think maybe probably some some positions more than others, quarterbacks. But I think if you're a quarterback, you anticipate, you know, every year a school is going to try to bring someone in. So I, I haven't heard that. It's interesting. Maybe that'll trickle down in a few years. But right now, it seems like every conversation when it comes to recruiting is centered around NIL. It's pretty crazy. I had a buddy who works at Texas State. I was talking to him the other day. We we're catching up and he said, we just lost a guy to the portal because we we weren't able to pony up NIL. I'm like, Texas State, out of all places, you know, maybe you can get that guy at Pepsi or something like that. But I mean, it's like, come on, man. I don't know. It's just crazy. And, and that that is, like you said, that's the day and age that we're living in. I, I don't I think now the adaptability, especially now with the with these kids in, in, in college, they're going to understand that uh, whatever competitive advantage, like we talked about, if you have to bring in players to shore up your roster or areas of need or or really it's just college football is now a arms race. Whatever you need to do to put your team over the top, uh, I think you have to entertain that, especially uh, if you're sitting there as a head coach, uh, whatever you got to do to gain any type of advantage. But, Drew, that's all we got for today, brother. You got anything else? Oh, I was just going to add this. And, you know, I, I, I've been running into college players all the time. And, I, you know, I think it, people would be surprised how many you just kind of toss out the joke question. Hey, like, think about transferring. And then the, the response you get from some of these college players is a lot of like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm thinking about like looking around. So, you know, I, I think it's a two way street, man. You might be a kid at a program that's worried about a transfer coming in or or whatnot. But like you're already kind of looking around. That's just the the atmosphere and the environment we're in right now. And obviously I'm in a different part of the country than a lot, you know, South Florida, these kids have been recruited since they were 10 years old, right? The way it works here is uh, you play youth football. The high school coach comes out of the park. They pick out the kids they want. You go to that high school and then you go to high school and then the college coaches come and pick you. So that's the environment I'm in, but I, I haven't heard any of that yet. I, now I'm going to start kind of listening for it, but that, that's all I got. I got you. Well, hey, guys, we appreciate you coming by and, and listening. We will have a new name for the show, I believe, in the next one or two episodes. So stick around for that. We're super excited. Shout out to Trey Scott. Actually, shout out to Andrew Ivins, who might be the one getting this done. So we're super excited about that. we got some really good things cooking up. But once again, appreciate you guys stopping by. And if y'all have any feedback, comments, questions, any stuff like that, please hit us up on Twitter. All right, guys, have a good day. Thank you.